0: Cast by GRCC DLIT.
1: With your hosts, Meg Lockhart, Rachel Lutwick Diener, and me, Jermaine Reese. Five,
0: six, seven, eight. Welcome back to Speaking of Teaching, a DLIT podcast. I'm Rachel Lutwick Diener, and I'm here with Meg Lockhart. Hola. And Ian Matthews. Hello. And our special guest today is Drew Rosma.
2: Sup? I know I feel like we needed some introduction for Drew like and the man who needs no introduction right. Daru Rosama. the man yes the, the legend <laughs> working
1: on like hacker educator nerd student sailor and then like what, what order those things appear
2: I think nerd needs to come first no, sailor definitely <laughs> sailor what is this have you been sailing
1: Oh, like th- th- one of the one of the blessings of uh, this line of work is that I'm going to do a lot of sailing. So we wow. we put the family on a boat right around now, went in the water the other day, and uh, we try not to get off until they make me go to learning day.
2: <laughs> oh, wow, this is excellent. And I want to return to this later. Yes, put
0: a bookmark in
2: that. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: And luckily, like, the teaching bit, if you're doing it asynchronously, and the hacking bit, if you're doing it even synchronously, usually, like, you can do all of that stuff along the coast of West Michigan.
2: But if you get too far out, you lose that capability, right? Or Thing is, interestingly enough,
1: with cellular communication, the the number of people on the wet side of the cell phone towers is very small. So you kind of have the cell towers all to yourself if you can get... Um, a connection to them. So it's when you're like outside of a marina town, so like say you're outside of like Ludington, like the cell service is great on the water. You come into the marina when you're competing with a hundred other people for that same cell bandwidth. It goes to garbage, so. This was fascinating. Things you learn. (laughs) What kind of boat? Is it an actual (laughs) sailboat? It is an actual sailboat. It is a Gemini 32 catamaran.
0: Ooh. I don't know what any of them. is. I'm games. a Gemini.
2: <laughs> of course you are. Manarius. Capricorn. Ian, <laughs> you? My birthday is August 13th. What does that mean? I think I... he's a Leo. Oh. I'm an Enneagram one. Oh, okay, well, no. I'm a two. Are you?
0: Yeah. <laughs> You're the helper. I can't be classified. Okay.
2: She's an eight. We have a guest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have a guest. Drew... I'm so excited to have you on the pod today because um, it's well known across the college that you have many skills when it comes to online teaching. Do I? Yes. And so (laughs) we're so interested in hearing what the last year has been like for you as you have gone full virtual with all of your students or full online. Um, and what are the innovations, tips, and tricks that you can share with the rest of GRCC?
1: Hmm. The innovations, tips, and tricks. I did just spend the better part of the year in what was supposed to be the in-law suite laundry room in my <laughs> office. <house. laughs> so that was cool
2: so Um, you got demoted.
1: (laughs) 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 So when I started um, teaching online and decided that in order to make the instructor presence piece happen, I wanted to give students the option of, like, seeing me and later interacting with me. So in the interest of doing that, and as you guys have done now, um, I built a studio, and I was like, "Honey, I need a room." And like, we have this this ranch that had a basement that was designed to be an in-law suite. And she was like, "Well, we only need one laundry room, and I don't want to bring laundry upstairs, so you can put your crap in there." So <laughs> I, you know, put put you know, soundproofing and and all that kind of stuff, and started making my lecture videos prior to the start of. Of the pandemic, and I was also beta testing Zoom for the college um, prior to this this whole thing kicking off. So I don't know in terms of in terms of tips and tricks, like blow some money on, and ideally the college's money on um, good audio gear. So like a a good microphone goes a real long way. Um, I'm a big fan of these um, blue Yetis. I, I like literally I'm in a room with three of them. Wow. They're pretty inexpensive. I think I've like pitched those before, but they're like, figure out how to be a a mediocre Twitch celebrity. And, and like you've got all the, the bases covered. So a good mic, a nice camera. Sony makes a pretty sweet like camera that's designed to be a selfie camera. That will do things like change focus when you stick something in front of you. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. And then switch it back. Um, So, like, just... There's so much content creation going on in the world that um, if you can just steal the tips from the YouTubers, the, uh, like, you are are making a good start.
2: Do you have um, a go-to YouTube channel that you use for all of your... Uh, teaching online needs.
1: No, but you, made I, I, like, channel, <laughs> you? you made that channel, didn't you? I do have a lot of YouTubers I like. Like, I will sit and watch Electro Boom for hours. Um, I will. down. <laughs> I will in, enjoy other people's work, and then so some of the some of the hacker people have uh, pretty good like YouTube presences, and well, everybody's got a. I, for a minute there, I went through a. Um, a metal smithing fascination, <laughs> it is so satisfying to just watch somebody, you know, craft a sword out of a block of iron or something. And there's this kid, Alex Steele, who... Um, of course. Who, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> you could...
2: Original you can name. Have
1: one of, you could have one of two jobs with that name.
0: His last name is really Rosenberg.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Probably Gildenkrantz. Iron oh, um <laughs> I cracked myself up. So um, <laughs> <laughs> he he did he he had like a great here's how I do my videos kind of video you know so wh- sitting through a bunch of those was useful. Um, our colleague over in the the culinary who had set up the whole OBS system man that was that was over the top. OBS um, is is kind of a software that you can use to to do like you your podcast listeners can't see this but like to take the um, graphics on and off of your screen. So like I have an unfair advantage in that I used to do television before I, I became a teacher. So like I was tasked with building television studios. So basically that's what I did in my basement. I tried to like, on a budget, come up with as much as I could, uh, could do and make professional sounding audio and professional sounding video. You guys aren't even getting the full audio treatment. I've, I've slacked off and I've dragged my desk out into the, the actual like family room.
0: So I have a question for you, Drew. If our listeners, our many, many millions of listeners out yes. there in podcast land, wanted to set up their own at-home recording studio, sort of bare bones. You've already said microphone and good camera, but... What are the things that you would recommend?
1: Mm, if especially if you're going to be like locked in one place for three hours on Zoom, which is sometimes a delight, <laughs> um, break break down and bring for a standing desk too. If you can like not have to be seated, and you can like get up and move the thing around. And di- are we getting the whirring of the motor? Yes. The yes. Is minute? that a plane about to I hear it? Right there.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's bad. So I just switched it over to standing. Um, lighting's important too, but I knew this was an audio event, so I didn't bother to get good lights. But just bright lights are pretty cheap. They even have those little ring lights that sit around a camera that will illuminate you appropriately, as opposed to me right now, who is like... A scary dark shadow out of a, of a 1960s, uh, 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 like, uh, I'm thinking of uh, what is it, Dark Shadows? Is that the name of that? <laughs> I don't uh, know that, that 1960s, uh, that 1960s soap opera that uh was about vampires and werewolves and stuff. Ooh. Really, just me? Uh, sorry, it's, Drew. it's all um, you, Drew. Pop culture reference <laughs> from, the, from the olden days, so yeah, so some lighting doesn't hurt. Um, and then, like, d- d- like get your students to turn their cameras on.
0: <laughs> How do you do
2: that? Good question. How do tell you tell them do they're
1: that? not welcome in the Zoom <laughs> oh. if they don't?
2: <laughs> what about students that have like, like questionable living environments, and they don't want to out themselves, or they're not comfortable? Like, what do you do for that? Do you tell us? Tell us all.
1: Uh, so, like, it, it, that was that was definitely a big concern. So. Um, a I don't feel like those students did a um an exceptional job like if they didn't feel comfortable speaking up, they might as well watch it recorded mm. um, i and I require participation for my classes, which might be weird for the the computer stuff, but we we i I feel like if you, if you're not interacting, like you might as well be watching a video, and uh, those students I force into a online discussion with like 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 word count requirements in order to make up that participation piece i do have a little caveat um that says like look if you have those kind of concerns mm-hmm. talk to me and we can find solutions cuz you know if you've got questionable living room um environment um, depends on how questionable that is if you 'd be able to successfully participate anyway, but if it 's just like my room 's ugly and i 'm embarrassed, you know we can show you how to turn on the black background blur feature mm-hmm. so that we can 't see that you know if it 's really a huge deal, we can um, you know talk about how you can how you was, uh, <laughs> so I had one class where a student felt a little uncomfortable about that, and he started a thing where he um we, we talked this through. And I don't know if anybody else is going to do this, but there is a, a tool called, um, oh, what is it? V-C-Cam? V-E-E-C-E-E-Cam. And it is for something called V-Tubing. And V-Tubing is where you have your... I wonder if I still have it.
2: V- what is V-Tubing? You make, like, a 3D cartoon of yourself. Oh! <gasps> Yes. To your, to uh, it's like a 3D bitmoji, 3D avatar. Yeah, but live.
1: So I, yeah, live in real time. So we all wound up as, and basically they're all um, oftentimes inappropriate anime characters. So <laughs> I see. We, we made the requirement for appropriateness. But if you wanted to show up and like you were concerned about that, I had two students who showed up the entire semester as little anime incarnations of themselves. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. I had a student so, who got <laughs> stuck as an anime rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a
2: cat. <laughs> um, so Drew, do you then, uh, you make participation required, and then you said, like, yep. if they're not going to participate, they might as well watch a recording. So there's that option. Then you record those Zooms, yeah, and then, you provide that so, recording.
1: Right, and so this is... Um, maybe uh like the idiosyncratic untested beliefs that i've come to develop about teaching that have like zero sample sizes but in in the in the zoom classes i made those students put like a a a synopsis like a, a couple of sentences to outline what it is they're going to talk about when it is their turn to discuss you know the review of last week's learning modules or whatever or learning outcomes so They're, in theory, doing the same amount of work as the students who are typing that out, but are are required to post that up. And then what I was doing as I'd go through the semester is, into the discussion forum for the class, I was posting the Zoom recording. So I was um, hitting the stream to Zoom button. Mm and then taking that the recording of that stream and putting it in the discussion. Also, things like, here's my review of what's due next week. Here is uh, some explainers on the assignments that are coming up, that sort of thing. And so, like, the student who chose not to attend, either I didn't hear anybody really um, in the six classes I did uh, complain about, I really, really want to attend, but, you know, but my environment is not conducive to that. I did hear a bunch of, like, I can't make it. Right. So... Um, being giving them that fallback option for the classes that were supposed to be synchronous um, worked out um, kind of my high-flex thing that I'm all fired up about. Yes, yes. Um, so it let them watch that recording, respond to what the students who were there said via the discussion board, and then to each other to, to fill out those requirements.
2: Yeah, well, I think that's key, right? So we're kind of joking about, like, well, you just forced them to turn their cameras on. Um But no, you actually have set up a a very um, clear path to similar activities, whether or not a student joins that Zoom. So um, I I pay attention when I go to the CTE. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, like, you're making it seem like, well, this just happens naturally. But like, you did a lot of work to set that up to ensure that students who couldn't make it or didn't want to or whatever the case was had options to complete this work in, in a similar way.
1: And, like, CIS, um, we were we were well-positioned for this. I've said that a, a bunch. We yes. are, we're a 70% online department in normal times. That's kind of how uh, students in our department want to learn. So it's, you know, uh, it, it was... If, like, you can meet all those um, learning outcomes in a completely asynchronous format, the synchronous is just you know, gravy. Also, I'm kind of trying to do um, a Kaizen, I think is the term for continuous improvement on your classes. So like each time I cycle through a class, the little changes that I make or the the Mm -hmm. things that seem confusing or the feedback I get from students, I try to use that to inform the online class that those students weren't um, a party to or the, the asynchronous version of that class.
2: I didn't know there was a word for that. Kaizen. I learned it from a student a few semesters ago. I thought that was like type A or anal retentive. Did not know that. (laughs) I'm going to start looking this up. The
1: the term I was going to use was um, one that we use in software development, um, continuous uh, development, continuous either integration, but like the reason Netflix never goes away and frequently gets better is because they're always working on it. And then they're always rolling out the newer, better features a little bit at a time. And so, like, I try to apply that philosophy to my classes.
0: I think it's a great philosophy that we should probably talk about a lot more, right? Because (laughs) every time we try something, even if we've done it, you know, 20 times before, it's a different group of students, different circumstances. We can learn something And we should be doing that kind of self-correcting, improvement, growth,
2: um, experimenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something, um, and I think you and I have talked about this before, Rachel, but uh, for almost the last 12 years, uh, I've never reused a course that I've taught. I've always completely redone it. Until this last year, I've started to really like dial things in and now I'm doing those sorts of like tweaky Changes, um, which I've never done before. It's always been like a baby out with the bathwater type thing. And I think that's not entirely healthy. Prepping every course every time. Right, right. But that was just like, that's what I did. I was like, oh, I have this brand new idea. I'm going to just redo the whole thing. Well, it's,
0: it's, it's a revision strategy, right? You have students who you say like, gosh, you really need to keep working on this paper. And so they started over from scratch.
2: <laughs> I feel their pain.
0: Right. Or you have people who are doing kind of what Drew's describing, this um, fine tuning. Yes.
1: Sometimes throwing away. Right. <laughs> like, I've, I've come across lectures that were like, you know, this is not uh, beneficial. And in, in my line, it's, it's like this thing is no longer relevant. We need yes. to toss it out and replace it with the new thing that's relevant. So we, we're we frequently forced to update um, our curriculum just because the nature of the beast. Yes. You know, the, there there is a set of fundamentals that don't change much, but the 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 bulk of it is evolving and changing new languages get popular new techniques become interesting in networking and cybersecurity and those kind of things and and oh if only i had studied history i could be using the same lectures <laughs> from <laughs> i kid the historians
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, would you say Drew that your students are a fairly self-selecting group in that their comfort levels with online learning kind of were already pretty high?
1: Oh, for sure. Like I, I had it so easy with this thing, and I, I don't forget that for a minute. the The reason we're like a seventy percent online department is because those are the classes that fill. You know, mm-hmm. when we put CS CIS 100 up in seat on a Monday from nine to noon, the CS 100 that's online is got twenty four students in it before there's three in the other one. So we tr- like in my role as department chair, I try and think about classes. Can we get it online first? Can we put it in a traditional slot, and then can we maybe alternate that semesterly or yearly, depending on the demand for the class? you know in the morning for that that 30% of our student population who is a traditional student and then in the evenings for the non-traditional students who want you know to the the in person
2: mm-hmm.
1: interactions
2: so how how much shifting or pivoting or um changing did you have to do to to go online for covid i mean obviously You've been doing this for forever. Was there anything Way you less needed? Less than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything that you found that you needed to change, though, or like maybe even just a mindset? Or um, because, well, I mean, that it really took away our ability, obviously, to hold in-person classes. So there's still a demand for those. And and did you see like those students coming into the online space nervous or unprepared? Or um, so I'm wondering if you could just sort of like walk us through what a seasoned online instructor had to change or adapt to with the pandemic.
1: You know, we had never done Zoom classes. We were just starting that, and I had been using Zoom sort of the other way around as we were demoing it. I was using Zoom in 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 a real classroom to bring in students who couldn't make it, and as a way to do that, I'm recording this class, so if you can't make it yes. at all, you can see it online, and then you can participate in the discussion via a little discussion post, or three of them. <laughs> so, um, so from that angle, I had never used Zoom to conduct classes, um, like, full-time. And so that piece really led me to believe that if you can create a good environment, like, if you can make... I'm gonna sound cheesy here, but if you can make it a safe space, you know, if you can make it a place where people feel comfortable bringing their whole selves, or at least an animation avatar of themselves, yes. which is sometimes better. <laughs> yes. Because um, yes. you you can be comfortable with your animation avatar in sometimes ways you can't be comfortable with your real <laughs> self. so. Um, and there was some of that in my class. But, like, if you can, you know, if you can create that space where people are comfortable interacting, and for, like, there is a, a huge set of, like, this self-selecting nerd population for whom uh, online relationships are as strong and sometimes stronger than uh, the relationships you have with in-person people. In-person people, hmm. So... Uh, it works, go because ahead. Yeah, because you don't have um, the limitations that that like some people who are you know uncomfortable in their own skin or uncomfortable with with um, you know kind of human to human interaction that that barrier you know these screens that I can hide behind. Uh, let me let me expose more of myself than maybe I could in person. You know, I grew up as, uh, like, the poor kid in a, in a ritzy school. I went to Immaculate Heart, and, like, we were on the wrong side of the tracks for Immaculate Heart. So I was always really awkward about, like, I was too heavy. I didn't have the cool clothes. And so, like, those in-person interactions were really rough for me. And as a kid, bulletin boards were just taking off. And I found, like, <laughs> the ability to interact without those things in the way without feeling super self-conscious about who I was or how people were judging me was so freeing. And like if you can bring that into your classroom and, and use the tools of technology in order to create that like it sounds cheesy but that really safe space where I'm not being evaluated for a bunch of things that are way out of my control but I'm really just being evaluated for my thoughts and actions. That can that can that can reach people in a way I don't think you can in a classroom. You know, that kid who is sleeping in the back corner might be completely different if he's not forced to be someplace, you know, if he's not forced to be pushed around by, you know, the the whims of his socioeconomic status or
2: Mm -hmm. whatever. I also find that... that it, it really did, but I think that's um, that's one of the beauties of teaching online. Like you said, is that sort of barrier, that screen you get to put between yourself and others. Um, for introverts, that feels really good. Um, but I also think it's like this the separation of time where you're where you're allowed to think things through before you have to post them or say them or you know let them out into the world. And I I think that that really benefits that sort of safe space feeling where in a classroom, you're expected to just like spout off this knowledge, you know, and everyone's going to applaud you. But in, a, in an asynchronous environment, you get to, as a student, you know, sit back, digest, maybe see what other people are thinking, like gather your thoughts and then, you know, write and revise before you actually post.
1: Yeah. What was that book? Quiet? Yes. Um, about being an introvert yes. in a very noisy room. Yeah, I, and I think that like you will uh, excel at that uh, online space uh, if if you're that kind of introvert. I don't know as I agree with all of the things you posited in that book, um, but if the, if your definition of intro and extroversion is do you do you find yourself drained after an interaction with people, or do you find it you know charging your batteries? I think was one of the terms that got tossed around. Um, it is definitely a lot easier uh, f- for those of us who have a little, little of the, uh, the the gift of gab, as my Irish granny used to tell me, um, than folks who, who want to reflect.
0: Well, Drew, I want to thank you for joining us today. You're always a delight. And, um, I appreciate the depth and the breath that you bring to the podcast. Um, anytime guys, I hope that you enjoy your summer of sale. Absolutely.
1: I will do my best. And if you guys ever learn any stuff about cybersecurity, I'm going to invite you onto the Defeasible Reasoning podcast and we'll learn all about it.
2: <laughs> that sounds awesome. All right. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Drew.
1: Anytime guys. Anytime.
2: Bye. Have a good one.
1: See ya.